Alright, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. The book of Ephesians chapter 3. Several years ago, I actually preached a little mini-series. I think I did it on a Wednesday night, if I'm not mistaken. From this book of Ephesians entitled, Praying for Glory. And we spent a little time in the first prayer, but we went into detail about this passage, chapter 3, verses 14, down through the end of that chapter. <clears throat> and it's not my intention to really go in that kind of depth and application for our series here, but if you would like to go back and listen to some of that, that was actually done. I knew it wasn't recent, but I didn't realize that it was actually 13 years ago. That's how you know you've been in a church for a while, (laughs) is when you reference a series and you thought it was about five years ago, and it's a lot more than that. But in February of 2009, we did this uh, series here of looking at this prayer in depth. And so, I think it's under the series, just a prayer meeting, but in any case, it's at sermonaudio.com slash faithmemorial if there's an interest for reviewing any of that. Secondly, before I read the passage, I'm not sure, it's my intention to finish all these verses here this morning, But I'm not sure how long I'm going to spend on the first half of the message. So if I happen to spend maybe 35 minutes or 30 minutes on the first half of the message, then I'm actually going to break it up and do the second part uh, this afternoon. So if you're in a position, all of a sudden I say, we're done, let's pray, and you say, well, didn't we just get started? That might be the reason for it. So let's begin reading here, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted, note the past tense, and grounded, past tense, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. As we've been learning, God the Father gifted grace to the Apostle Paul for this purpose to administer the riches, the unsearchable riches of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And in doing that, administering those riches to bring to light the mystery. This mystery that is now revealed, of which we have been given a in-depth but a summary look at here in this book of Ephesians, 
which deals about God bringing Himself glory through His Son in the church forever and ever. God gifted that grace to Paul to administer those riches, bringing to light the mystery, for the glory of God and for the good of us Gentiles. So that at the end, God the Father's wisdom would be known to all. And in doing that, it would bring God the Father glory. And folks, that wisdom and the outworking of that wisdom and mystery is to be seen in our church or in the churches of Jesus Christ by our growing into the fullness of Christ. And we'll see that if we trace this within this book, if you look at chapter 4 and look at verse 13 when he talks about the gifting and the purposes of that gifting, In verse 13 of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a what? A mature man. What does that look like? To the measure of the stature which belongs to what? The fullness of Christ. Everybody see that? And of course, in the book of Colossians, he says, Paul writes to that church and says, in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. So when we're talking about being filled up with all the fullness of God, what we're talking about is a local New Testament assembly. Being filled up unto maturity so that we would attain the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Everybody see that? That fullness is again brought out, we just read it, chapter 3, verse 19. Paul prays for certain things to happen so that you, the church at Ephesus, may be filled up to all the fullness, not of Christ, but of who? Of God. Everybody see that? Now go back to chapter 1. Look down at verse 22. God the Father put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him, that is Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is His body, now notice this, the fullness of Him who what? Fills all in all. Everybody see that? And so what we have here is a glory that is to be seen in local New Testament assemblies and will ultimately be seen in the gathering together of all the saints in Christ from ages long ago to ages ahead, that fullness is going to be seen because in that body, that if you want to call it the universal church, in that body will be seen the fullness of the glory of God the Father in the person of Jesus Christ, His body which is the church. That fullness is to be seen in every local 
visible New Testament assembly. Everybody following this? And folks, that is what Paul means. Did you notice in every one of those passages that I read, the fullness of Christ, according to the power that is working in us, that we might be filled up to all the fullness of God, that in Christ's body, which is His church, is the fullness which fills all in all. What I've just described to you is what Paul is referring to in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, a very familiar passage for us, when it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but, but be filled. Everybody see that? Be filled. Now he doesn't say God the Father. He doesn't say Christ. He says be filled with the, the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is being filled with the fullness of Christ. It's being brought to a maturity where that filling and that fullness may be known. It is what Paul is praying for here in this prayer. That ultimately, now in the prayer, this is talking about a church, not us as individuals, although we are individual members the church being filled up with the fullness of God. And this is what happened in the person of Christ, in His human body, and that body is the church, the fullness of Him that fills all in all. This is, in my estimation, amazing. To tie in all that I've just tied in, from what Paul knew about that mystery, from the purpose of that mystery, that Christ, listen to this, that Christ would fill all in all, and we are in Christ, yes, and Christ fills us. That is the fulfillment of this mystery. And it is that overarching purpose and aim of God that eternal purpose. Look back in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11. All of this is in accordance with the eternal purpose. Someone mentioned to me last Lord's Day, they came up to me and said, can you explain what an eternal purpose is? When we think of a purpose, we think of a beginning. Right? We think of, okay, today's the day, certain circumstances happen, so therefore I purposed. I came to a decision, this is what it is. That's not how it happens in God. It is an eternal purpose because God is an eternal being. So therefore this purpose has always been in God. Always been in God. Doesn't that blow your logic? It has always been in God. In essence, this eternal purpose is part of who God is. And folks, therefore, that eternal purpose should also be the church's eternal purpose. All other purposes, all other wills of God, 
subsists under that eternal purpose. So we could say this. Is it God's will, just moving on in the chapters here, for us to have a family where the man exercises his headship like Christ loved the church? Yes or no? That is a will of God. But that is a sub-will of God that is under all of this eternal purpose and will. And folks, as you think about it and you think about modern day America, it is not up to the church to change that eternal purpose. It has always been God's eternal purpose for the man to exercise his headship like Christ loved the church and gave it. It's his eternal purpose. I don't care if it's 2022. It's not outdated. It's eternal. It's God's eternal purpose. If we look ahead, chapter 4, for God's people to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. In all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to pursue the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's always been God's eternal purpose for us to walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. This is part that subsists under that eternal purpose. This is what brings glory to God. Now, it may not have the excitement like music, but it is the essence and substance of what we as a church is supposed to be about. A purpose that exists in the eternal God, a purpose, as we know from Ephesians 1 and verse 4, that was in play before the foundation of the world, a purpose that was going to bring about a people that are part of the body of His incarnate Son, who stand before Him in holiness and blamelessness in love. This has been all part of it. And folks, having all of that being brought about, it has already been brought about in who? In Christ, in His death, in His burial, in His resurrection. Having brought all that to pass in that historical moment, it is now presently being outworked on this earth. That is what is going on. And folks, one of the reasons why this has just filled me with joy beyond all joys is because this is an answer to prayer for some 20 years ago that I would know the overarching theme is what I thought it was, the overarching purpose of God that ties this all together. This is it. And folks, here's the thing. In order for our church to grow up into the measure, into a mature man, the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, you and I have to embrace that. If we don't embrace that, if we make some other 
sub-will of God, the overarching thing, we will never attain the fullness that God the Father desires for a local New Testament assembly. Every individual member of this body has to take it to heart. Has to understand it. It has to grip them and live through their life. And folks, just jumping ahead a little bit, did you notice that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13 <clears throat> that it is God's will for every believer to reach maturity? If a member, if a believing member of our local New Testament assembly halts becomes lame in its pursuit of this fullness, it hinders our church to give glory to God. Does everybody hear that? Normally we don't think about assemblies that way. We think about assemblies where there's a group there that's mature, maybe the leadership, and then all of us under it have just kind of varying levels, and that's okay, you know, if I want to be eight years old in the Lord, as it were, then that's fine. That's not fine. It hinders a local New Testament assembly bringing glory to God, which is the eternal purpose. Everybody see that? So we've got to pick up our feet. We can't say, I'm 95 years old and I like where I am. It has to be this one thing I do. Forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth. Remember Paul saying that? He said, I haven't arrived. I'm reaching forth. That's the illustration that you and I are to be regardless of our age, whether we be young or old. If we are a believer, we are to desire the sincere milk of the Word and then the meat of the Word so that we may grow thereby into the fullness of the stature of Christ. That is our aim. And it is being accomplished on this earth. Do you see it? People tell me sometimes, I can't see God. If you know this eternal purpose, you will see Him. You will see Him working among the nations. You will see Him working in the nation of Israel. You will see Him working in missions. You will see Him doing these things all over the globe today. That passage and what I've described to you isn't just for Americans. is for people all over the world to come into this maturity. That is a job, is it not? And so we have this. And Paul says in verse 13 of Ephesians 3, he says, Therefore, Therefore I asked you not to lose heart and my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your what? In other words, Paul's saying, as you understand the fullness of this mystery, do you not realize 
that it is the glory of God's grace in my life, even though it has brought me tribulation, it has brought me imprisonment, it is the glory of God and His grace working in my life to bring to you this message and to administer to you the unsearchable riches of Christ. That grace is working in me to sustain me. Do you see that, church at Ephesus? Because I, Paul, see that grace working in the church that is at Ephesus. That grace working in me, that grace working in the church. So that at the end of the day, all of this is to the praise of the glory of His grace in order that, Romans 15, the Gentiles would glorify God for His mercy. And folks, if that's the case, even though you would not desire Paul to go through those tribulations and to go through that affliction, or even to be in prison, but folks, once you look at what's happening in Paul's tribulations and him bringing you that message and that message working in you, it's like it's okay. Jesus is coming. (laughs) God's mystery is being worked out in our lives to the glory of God. Of God. And that is why he concludes by saying in that benediction in Ephesians 3 to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. And folks, you need to meditate on that. You're you're not going to get it just by hearing me enthuse about it. You're going to have to take it home. You're going to have to read the passages. You're going to have to read those first three chapters. You're going to have to keep that theme, intertwine those things. Ask God to work at it in your heart so that it becomes our driving passion. We are supposed to be doing the will of God, aren't we? This is it. This is the eternal purpose which He has purposed in Christ. Now this morning, what I want to look at is two things. I want to make some general observations about this prayer. And then I want to look at Paul's request. This afternoon, if the Lord be pleased, we'll actually look at the aims and the purposes with the results of this prayer. What are some general observations about this prayer? I have two. Number one, look at verse 16. Paul prays that God the Father, the Creator, the One who has named every family on heaven and on earth, that God the Father would grant you according to the riches of His glory, now look at this request, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, where? In the inner man. Everybody see that? General observation number one. Paul is not praying for the church to get the power of the Holy Spirit. Does everybody see that? 
It's common today. I have prayed it before. It's common today for us to pray. Now, Lord, give the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's not praying for the power of His Spirit. What is he praying for? The strengthening of the already existing power by His Spirit. Does everybody see that? Folks, every, please hear me, every genuine believer possesses the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the strengthening of that power that brought about our redemption, the fulfillment of the mystery of this will in the person of Jesus Christ. It's that power which was in the incarnate Son who the Scripture says He did everything by the Holy Spirit. And if that power and that Spirit was in the Son of God, it meant that He filled Him. It filled His body. And that body is who? The church. If you and I are genuinely converted, you possess the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the the Romans, if any man does not have the Holy Spirit, he is none of his. Do we see that? It is significant, is it not, that Paul's not praying for the power of the Holy Spirit. He is praying for the strengthening of this power. Folks, this power has already operated in you to give you new life. If you're alive, it's by the power of God through Jesus Christ, by His Spirit. If you are living, are you living? It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That power, when you and I got saved, regenerated you, it gave you new life, and Romans 6 verse 6 says, it snapped the lordship of sin in your life. So that sin would no longer have lordship over you. What now has lordship over every genuine believer? Grace. The grace of God in His Son. Everybody see what I'm saying? It's very important that we understand. If we're praying for the wrong thing, the Lord doesn't answer it. We're praying for the strengthening of the power, His power, by His Spirit. And folks, every believer, no exceptions, needs strengthening in power. Do you agree with that? If you and I are going to be filled with the Spirit, that's what this means, 
For me to be filled with the Spirit means not that I get something I don't have. It means there is a strengthening of might, a strengthening of power in my life so that I can walk in the fullness of God. That's what we need. It's going to take the strengthening of of power inside of you men for you to walk in your home like God calls you to walk. Ladies, it's going to take a strengthening of God's power in you for you to submit to your husband like Christ desires for you to submit. It's going to take a strengthening of power for us to walk in humility. This is not native to us. This is not natural to us by being firstborn. We're going to need the strengthening of might to show tolerance for one another in love. I mean, folks, by our fallen nature, we get irritated with people. We're going to need the strengthening of His might. It's going to take the strengthening of power for us to preserve the unity of the Spirit that has been given to us in the bond of peace, in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you not agree that Christ is not disunioned? Christ is one, is He not? He's given us that oneness. Now we are to preserve that oneness as a church. That's going to take the strengthening of power by the Spirit of God Where? Inside, in the very being of ourselves. That's what it's going to take to walk a worthy walk. This is what it's going to take to be filled with the Spirit. This is what it's going to take for a church to grow up into the fullness of the measure of Christ. This is what it's going to take for us to walk in all the fullness of God. And folks, this is what it's going to take for us to bear the weight of this glory. And so just as I enjoined you when we began in Ephesians chapter 1, and I said, you and I need to pray, verses 15 through 19, we need to be praying this for our church so that we would be enlightened in the wisdom and knowledge of the revelation of God. Folks, now it's time to turn our prayers to this, that you would strengthen us with might for the next three chapters so that we would not only, hear me, have the knowledge of this, this knowledge would live through us. So don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with be filled with the Spirit. Everybody see what I'm saying? We'll see this more as we go through here, and I keep repeating it and repeating it. So the very first general observation is, <clears throat> is that Paul's not praying for the power of his spirit, but for the strengthening of power by His Spirit in the inner man of every individual member of this local New Testament assembly. 
And folks, one of the things I love about this is that what is true for our assembly is the same need that's true for every lampstand of Jesus Christ. Regardless of culture, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of nationality, this is God's will. Second observation. And I'm going to make this observation... And I don't want you to react to it, but hear me out. Paul is not praying for believers to be soul winners. He's not praying for believers to be evangelistic. Paul's not even praying for believers to suffer like he suffers. You don't see that anywhere, do you? In fact, Paul never, as it were, he does tell Timothy, now join with me in the suffering, but he never says to you, now I've been suffering a lot, now you suffer like I do. He's not praying for us to be soul winners. He's not praying for us to be evangelistic. He's not praying for us to reach some type of level of affliction and suffering. And folks... Today, at least in our nation, we tend to judge the health of our churches by its, quote, evangelistic success, unquote. And folks, I have, <clears throat> I have visited churches and, and gotten to the place of knowing churches they have great evangelistic outreach and great evangelistic success who are not bringing glory to God like this text is saying for this to happen. Now having said that, every church needs to be evangelistic. Did you hear me? But that is a subset of the overarching purpose of God. There are a lot of purposes of God underneath that eternal purpose of which evangelism, confessing with our mouth, loving our neighbor, trying to reach them, is part thereof. And I can assure you that if you are filled with all the fullness of God, there's going to be an aspect in your being that desires others to know Christ. But Paul's not praying that small subset. He's praying for the whole thing to be accomplished in the church. And folks, that's the beauty. When you pray for the whole thing, you get all the subparts going on. Because as we'll find out later, there is a lot of unity within our church, but there is diversity, and the diversity is is in how we're gifted. And those gifts will express itself. Every church needs to be evangelistic, but Paul's overwhelming burden, his overwhelming knowledge of this eternal purpose is for us. Now I'm going to use Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. You can look at it later, which neatly packages both of these prayers up in one summary prayer. 
Paul's overwhelming purpose, <clears throat> burden, is for us to be increasing in the knowledge of God and to be bearing the fruit of the Spirit in our walk. That's his overwhelming burden. And when that burden is being accomplished within a local New Testament assembly, it brings glory to God. It allows the principalities and powers that are in heavenly places, it allows God's wisdom and God's glory to be seen and known in the heavenlies. He wants us in every way to attain to maturity. He wants us in every way growing up in all things into Christ. And He wants us in all things. If you look at chapter 4, verse 16, He'll say this, the whole body being fitted and held together by what? Every joint. Everybody see that? Our church fitted together by what every joint, every individual member supplies according to the working of each individual part causes the what? The growth of the body for the building up of itself in in love. Now certainly the growth of that body could entail numeric growth. But in the context of this, he's talking about being increasing and maturing to the fullness of Christ. Two general observations that I think are critical in adjusting for our prayer life, for our desires, for what we desire to see in a local New Testament church. So folks, when I look at our church, And our deacons can attest to this. We've talked about it. When I look at that, our church, I can't just sit here and say, oh, we're not running X amount of numbers, so therefore we're failing. When I look at our church, I want to see Christ living through you. I want to see you increasing in the knowledge of God. I want to see you walking in holiness and in love. And when I see that, my heart rejoices. And my wife and I have talked about this many times. We'll mention something and my wife say, this is just exciting. This is Christ through them. And we just sit here and have a time of joy unspeakable and full of glory. And folks, if you adjust that into your spirit, I guarantee you it will increase your joy and thanksgiving in Christ. That brings us to Paul's request. Having looked at those two general observations... Let's look at his request. His request is given to us again in verse 16. The request is simple. To be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Now folks, these two prayers in the book of Ephesians are united in light of this mystery. 
The first prayer request, go back to chapter 1. Let's just look at it again to remind ourselves. The first prayer request, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in in the knowledge of Him. That knowledge will be given to us when the, our understanding, when the eyes of our heart is enlightened by the Holy Spirit. And that enlightenment will work in us a multitude of things, but at least three. It will increase your confident expectation in light of this calling. What calling? The calling of the mystery. It will show you the unsearchable riches of His glory in the inheritance in the saints. And it will produce this. You will begin to see the greatness of His power toward us who are believing. That's the first prayer request. It all centers around a hard understanding of this knowledge that Paul has revealed to us. Now in this passage, Paul is praying for empowerment, strengthening of that power, where? In our inner man. Folks, do you and I realize that we're going to have to be strengthened with power because there are enemies to this mystery being worked out? Who are these enemies? The world. The world. The place where we live as pilgrims and strangers. The mall is not innocent. Billboards are not innocent. Casual conversation that's not guarded with Christ is not innocent. The world is an enemy. Now we have to live in this world, right? And this is one reason why Paul, not Paul, why Christ prayed in John 17 that we would be kept in this evil age. And secondly, this is an enemy, the schemes of the devil. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, put on, verse 11, well let's begin in verse 10, note this, finally, be what? Strong. Didn't he pray for us to be strengthened with might? 
Finally, be strong in the Lord. Now note this, Ephesians 6.10, and in the strength of His might. Everybody see that? He's prayed for that strengthening of His might, and now He's saying, you're going to need it because there's enemies out there. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you might have the ability to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The schema of the devil. Do you realize that the devil plans his attack against the church of God? He plans his attack against the body of Christ. Because when he attacks the body of Christ, he's attacking who? Christ. And Christ is the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Satan wants that throne. It's an enemy. And he is deceitful, is he not? Folks, not only is our enemy the world and the schemes of the devil, this is probably what you and I have to battle with most of all. And that is this entity called the flesh. The flesh. And we've already looked at that. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about it in verse 3. He says, Among them we too all formerly lived. Now here's how our fallen flesh operates. In the desires of our flesh, indulging the desires or the wills of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. And we looked at this. Your flesh will motivate you to do certain things. Your flesh will reward you for carrying out its will. The way fallen people say, they say, you know what? I'm living with someone that's not my wife, but it gives me the greatest joy. When the Bible says it is most unloving and is under the wrath of God. Everybody see that? But they're motivated to do that because they are quote-unquote seeing happiness. Our flesh has a will about what we do this afternoon. It has a will about what you're going to do tonight. It has a will about where you work. But folks, more importantly, it has a will about how you act. Down south, they have a little saying. They'll say, well, I just gave them a piece of my mind. As if that's okay. Well, if the peace of your mind was the confession of Christ and His salvation, that might be good. Right? But that's not what they mean. They mean somebody gave me bad service and I told it like it is. 
That's a will of the flesh. And folks, if I need to remind you, it does not bring glory to God at all. Your flesh has a will about who you marry. It has a will about how you go about to get married. And folks, we are living in a world that is swamped in all these desires and wills and approves of them. That is a real battle, isn't it? And folks, having seen and come to some measure of understanding about that power, would you not agree with me as we go back to Ephesians chapter 3, would you not agree with me that you and I need to be strengthened with His power? We need His power, we have it, we're regenerated, but we need it strengthened so that we can stand And as the evil day comes more and more, and the evil darkening nights more and more oppressive, we need that inner strength. So I liken it this way. So as the the oppression comes against our person, our inner man doesn't collapse. But corresponding to the oppression is the strengthening. So that as lights we shine in this dark world holding up the word of life instead of complaining, Philippians says. And I'm just going to speak for myself. It really does take a strength and a might not to complain. Now folks, that may not be as exciting as having a revival meeting with a bunch of music. But this is where the rubber meets the road, right here. As a church, we don't have to have a lot of accoutrements. Those accoutrements may be healthy, they may be edifying, they may be good, we might have them, we might not have them. But we have to have this going on in the life of that congregation. And folks, both the understanding, Ephesians 1 verse 15, and the strengthening of this power are gifts. Are gifts from God the Father. Did you notice that when I read this? He would grant you. He would give this to you. He would gift this to you. And folks, these are invaluable gifts. Invaluable gifts. Because those invaluable gifts are for the fulfillment of His eternal will and purpose. And you can be assured that when you pray in agreement with that will, He hears you. And knowing that He hears you, He will give you the request that you ask. So folks, could we, in the weeks going forward, could we pray that God would strengthen us with power in our inner man as a church? Do you think He would be happy to grant that? He would be happy to grant that. 
And folks, the one that we're going to <clears throat> for this gifting is God the Father. Note verses 14 and 15. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its what? Now folks, that doesn't mean that God has named everything. Like He just put a label on you. Like He labeled me Frank. Or He labeled you with your name. Or He labeled that bug with a name. Or that angel with a name. Right? It just doesn't mean, well, I named this superior angel Lucifer. And the reason why we normally think that is because that's how we name things. We, in general, will name something. We'll say, well, <clears throat> you know, we're going to have a baby. Let's get around. Let's figure out what his name is. Well, do you like Betty? No, I don't like Betty. Uh, how about picking a name three generations ago in our family? How, 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 how about Sarah? Well, Sarah, that doesn't have a ring to it. And you kind of go through all these things and finally you arrive on a name and say, that's the name. We're all in agreement. We're pretty, we're pretty happy about that. That's how we name things. That's not how God names things. Folks, when God names something, He names it and gives it existence. He names it according to its function. And He will name it according to the life that it has. So folks, when, when, when Peter came up, his name was Simeon, when Peter came up, or Simon, when he goes there, <clears throat> Jesus says, I'm changing your what? I'm changing your name. Your name's now going to be a rock. Folks, he was saying something about Peter's person. Do you see that? God the Father has, out of his wealth, he's named everything. And he has named you and me. Did he give us existence? Did he not regenerate you? He gave you life. And in giving you life, He gave you a new name. Now you don't know what that name is yet. But you will. And that name will not only refer to your existence, but it will refer to the essence of your life and the function of your person. So when we named our children, we couldn't name them according to their function. We're not that knowledgeable of what's going to happen in the future. But we gave them names that meant something as a prayer for them. Do you see the difference? But God knows everything. He can name your name and then bring it to pass. And folks, the one who has named us... (coughs) 
The one in which every family member in heaven and on earth derives, and that may refer to the family member of the body of Christ. The God the Father, who's named everyone in that body and given them a name that defines their function and purpose for eternal, for eternal, for everlasting life. It's that person that we're going to and saying, strengthen us with might in our inner man. Everybody see that? Folks, there's a lot about us that's going to be identical. We're all going to walk one day in a new heaven and new earth and what you're going to see in every one of us is Christ. You agree with that? Every one of us. But we will have different function. Just as we have diversity of gifts today, in that new heaven and new earth, we'll have different function. And our name will correspond to that function. And folks, this is what God's preparing in your life. He wants you to walk in the fullness of Christ. He wants you to walk in the fullness of the giftedness of which He's given to you. All in preparation so that in the ages to come, God the Father would show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in His Son, Jesus Christ. I would say that a God who's named all this already has the wealth to give us the strengthening of His power in our inner man. Would you say that? That's what Paul's thinking when he bows his knee. He's thinking about God and who He is and that He has the power to gift this to His people. Now folks, I want to stop here and just ask ourselves, as believers, have you fully embrace this. You may not know it as you ought to know it. You may not understand it as you ought to understand it. But have you embraced this? Because this is why God gifted me to be a pastor teacher. To bring every one of you to the unity of the faith to the fullness. Do you see the step? Unity of faith to the fullness of Christ. And this is how it's done. Through the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.